0: I've always had a passion for energy issues. I grew up in a town that was dependent on oil and natural gas production. I think people understand what pipelines are about. You wouldn't be able to hop in your car and drive to work every day without a pipeline carrying some sort of fuel through the pipe.
1: This is EnergyCast, and I'm Jay Dauenhauer. Today we are talking about pipelines, specifically oil and gas lines that bring most of our energy into our lives right under our feet. The United States has over 65% of the world's pipeline infrastructure, are about 1.2 million miles of natural gas pipe and about 150,000 miles when it comes to oil-based products. When it comes to transporting energy, little makes more sense than pipelines. A typical pipeline can move about 150,000 barrels of oil per day. It would take a train with 75 cars or 750 trucks to do the same. The pipeline or transportation phase of oil and gas production is called midstream. Pipeline components are relatively simple despite the complex networks that have been created. Take natural gas, for instance. Once it's produced during the upstream phase, it's introduced into the line at an inlet station where gas is stored and compressed and transported as compressed natural gas CNG at anywhere between 200 and 1500 PSI. Compressor or pump stations help move product through the lines. The product typically reaches its final destination at what are called partial and final delivery stations. There have been some cool technologies developed to detect leaks, which can be especially tricky for pipelines underground. I never spent much time around pipelines like the ones we're discussing today. As we discussed in my water treatment episode, most of my experience involved a above-ground temporary water transfer for fracking. However, one of the guys I worked for during my time in that sector claimed a major oil and gas producer laid a 60-inch diameter pipeline under his property, one of the largest you'll find. Unlike the above-ground water lines used for fracking, underground oil and gas pipelines are invisible. Only a trained eye would notice the right-of-way markers along, say, a grassy field or a ranch. As we discussed with my guest today, pipelines can cause controversy, when you consider the many miles and many landowners that can be involved in projects like these. But I was amazed to learn that almost no projects go to the point of eminent domain. Plus, it seems that most landowners get a nice paycheck for something they'll never see. For our energy infrastructure to thrive, it's important that landowners remain good neighbors. Our guest today is Turi Cannon, president of the Texas Pipeline Association, a statewide trade group for this critical piece of energy infrastructure. The group has over 40 members serving a state that has by far the most pipeline miles of any other. I'm pretty sure I ran across Turi during my years at the Texas State Capitol in Austin. At that time, he was a staffer for a house member on an energy committee that I spent a lot of time in. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Turi Cannon. And president of the Texas Pipeline Association. And, Turi, I don't think most people understand just how much oil and gas is transported through pipelines in this country. How does that compare with things we do see, like rail and trucking?
0: Well, pipelines are the safest and they're the most reliable and efficient and economic means of transporting large quantities of natural gas and crude oil and refined products and liquids. What you don't see in a pipeline because we're buried under the ground, but you take a moderate 20 inch pipeline running 50 miles through a county, that That can transport about 300,000 barrels of oil. You compare that to a truck that you might see on the road, and over in West Texas you see a lot of trucks, one of those trucks can only carry about 180 barrels of oil. So when you do the simple math of 300,000 divided by 180, you can see that that would take about 1,650 truck trips per day to transport the same amount of product that one 20-inch pipeline could transport.
1: And so I think one of the takeaways here is that you're able to move a whole lot more. It's a lot less high touch, if you will, and usually that leads to less opportunities for things to possibly go wrong, right?
0: Exactly. There's been studies, and I know our sister association up in DC, the Association of Oil Pipelines, has done a safety study on that as well, showing that pipelines are definitely the safest way to transport.
1: One of the things I love doing here is trying to cut through some of the misunderstandings out there. And I think a lot of folks maybe assume, that pipeline routes are established and constructed thanks to eminent domain. They're just going to you know, put that pipeline across your land, right? But you say that eminent domain is really a last resort. How so? How often does that happen?
0: Well, of course, we are very proud of our relationships with our landowners because we're going to be their neighbors for a long time, possibly in perpetuity forever. And so we do treat landowners with the utmost respect, respecting their land. And eminent domain simply just costs more. We would rather pay the landowner a fair market value rather than get tied up in court all the time by using the condemnation process. There was a snapshot that our association did, and we tracked our negotiations with landowners from 2011 to 2016. And what we found is we dealt with about 34,900 tracts of land in this sample. And out of those 34,000 tracts of land, we were able to construct almost 16,000 miles of pipeline. What we found is when we looked at condemnation rates of that, condemnation occurred less than 4% of the time. So that means just in the initial stages of negotiation, we successfully negotiated with our landowner friends 96% of the time. And when you take that number even further, how many of them actually went to court? Less than 1% actually ever went to court. Out of those, there was 11 cases out of those 34,000 tracts of land that went to court. And sometimes those are cases where you can't find the landowner and you have to go to court. You have to find the landman, right? Well, sometimes when you're trying to get a route for a pipeline, you do your due diligence and look for the deeds, and then you find the who's on record as the landowner, and sometimes you can't find that person. And so what the judge will do is he'll say, okay, since you can't find them, you're going to have to condemn
1: You know, I think about this a lot. Texas, it seems, understands mineral rights a lot better than I think people in other states. I mean, your grandmother understands if she's got her mineral rights or not, right? Right. Do you think that it's easier for Texas to get pipelines done or sometimes maybe more challenging because the average person understands these right-of-way and these property rights issues maybe a little better than most folks? What do you think about that?
0: Well, Jay, I'm of course biased and I think Texans are the smartest people (laughs) in the country. But uh, yes, we are a very pro-oil and gas state and so I think people know that in order for product to get to market, you have to have a safe and reliable system such as a pipeline system to get them to market. A large amount of our electricity in this state is produced by natural gas power plants and so they know when they turn on the lights that power had to come from somewhere. When you're drinking a bottle of water, you know that a petroleum product probably had something to do with making that bottle. And so I think Texans have been educated because we are such a pro-oil and gas state and it has such a significant effect on our economy that I think they are more knowledgeable. Do other states sometimes reach out to you guys? They haven't reached out to me specifically, but I will definitely hold up our Texas model as a very good one. It's probably the best in the country regarding pipeline safety, pipeline transportation, and building projects. Of course, what I often say to the chambers that I speak to is that, to my knowledge, the Texas Pipeline Association is the only state trade association dealing with solely intra-state pipelines. And people say, well, why do you need your own? And I said, well, because Texas is special for one reason, but two, we've got more pipeline miles than anybody else.
1: Let's talk a little bit about landowners again and royalties, and you talk about, yeah, if you're going to basically put a pipeline across their land, then then those people are going to get paid. How do those royalties typically work? How is that usually financially structured?
0: Sure. When we negotiate with landowners, so let's say we're going across their farmland, we, of course, will pay for the land and then we'll pay for any crop damages or we might pay them for workspace, or for a myriad of things. But the beauty about a pipeline is once the pipeline is installed, you can still farm on that land. You can do anything with the land that you could do before except for build, say, a structure.
1: Do they get paid annually just for being underground under them?
0: All contracts are different, but I think for the most part, companies will pay at the front, and they'll negotiate with the landowner individually. Okay.
1: You'd think Texas and other oil-producing states have built all the pipelines that would be necessary to all the active fields out there. But how active are new builds, Turi?
0: Well, if you just look at the projects that are being announced, there's quite a few. And so that's because we've got to get product to market because Texas is a growing state, and so we've got more energy demand. But then again, we're also starting to export a lot of the product as well. As you might have seen, there's some pipelines going to Mexico, for instance, and we're getting them down to the ship channel to export LNG and export other hydrocarbons through our port system.
1: We've been hearing a lot about President Trump's infrastructure package. Have you heard anything in those discussions about pipelines? lines being in that mix.
0: Well, from a very high level, it's my understanding that the president's infrastructure proposal was released, and it's going to attempt to streamline and expedite the pipeline permitting process. And so from a regulatory certainty standpoint from the pipeline industry, we would welcome that and support that.
1: Tell us a little bit about regulations. What kind of things really create headaches that you think might be unnecessary?
0: Just regulations that cause delay, because when a pipeline is in the business of transporting from the wellhead to the end user, and so if there's any kind of delay, there's nothing in it for the pipeline industry. We've got to get hooked up to a well. And so if we're not transporting anything, we're not doing our job.
1: You talked a lot about the safety and that's great. Are there any new technologies with pipelines that we might not know about? Leak detections, faster pumping, maybe materials that can stay in the ground
0: and transport longer over the course of time? The good thing about the pipeline industry is we're always looking for new technology, especially to improve safety. And I know, for instance, the industry is moving to a lot of drones surveillance for our pipeline routes to make sure that we can spot any kind of concerns or problems and they fly along the route of the pipeline. And that's safer than having a manned person. And then there's also instruments that can be put on the drone that can detect leaks if there is one. I know that there's advanced laser leak detection technology. And then, of course, we're always working on innovations to improve our smart pigs that run through the pipeline and simultaneously clean the pipeline, but they also inspect the pipeline while they're running through it.
1: And I'm curious about something else. Back when I was doing oil and gas water treatment, a lot of times you'd be out on a lease and you'd see abandoned wellheads, right? Abandoned wells. We see them all the time. Right. What about abandoned pipelines? Is that a concern? Is it up to somebody to take care of that at the end of life? Does it disintegrate in the ground when it's done? What happens to that?
0: No, absolutely there's a very large statutory provisions relating to if a pipeline company wants to abandon its pipeline. And so they go through a checklist of many things that statute dictates when you actually want to abandon a pipeline. What you might see is an inactive pipeline, but the pipeline safety standards and everything else still apply to an inactive pipeline. Do they have to dig it up? Dig up an inactive pipeline? No, you do not. Okay.
1: You guys are all about energy dependence. I love that but what about producing steel at home? One of the things that's been in the news a lot is these steel tariffs, pipelines are made of steel. How do y'all feel about that?
0: We joined with our sister associations in DC and we wrote a letter to President Trump expressing our concern with the imposition of a steel and aluminum tariff. We completely understand the rationale of what President Trump is trying to do. And I don't think we disagree with that rationale, but of course the devil is always in the details because for pipelines, let's say, there's the pipeline grade steel that we require, and some domestic steelmakers don't have that in stock, and they can't keep up with demand. So sometimes you have to go elsewhere to get that steel. I think there can be a balance in that proposal. However, at the current time, we just have to work out the details and make sure that we can continue to build the projects that will sustain America's energy.
1: Tell me a little bit about your background. You're on the legislative side, right? Texas legislature? Yes, sir. (laughs) How is it different being on the other side of you were working with the representatives, now you're basically representing interest to the representatives? How does that relationship change for you?
0: It really hadn't changed too much because when I was working inside the legislature, I was working on energy issues all the time because my boss was on the House Energy Resources Committee. And so I've always had a passion for energy issues. I grew up in a town that was dependent on oil and natural gas production. I saw the economic impact that it had on my community. And then you just look at the balance sheet for the state of Texas and you can see the impact for the oil and gas industry in the state of Texas. A couple of years ago, the Pipeline Association, when you hear about all the economic figures, and they're just gargantuan numbers that go into state and local governments. Texas Tech did a study that focused solely just on the midstream industry. And we said, I wonder what the impact of just the pipeline industry. And what that study found was in one year, the economic output for the state of Texas just by the pipeline industry was $33 billion. And just the pipeline industry by itself sustained 165,000 jobs. And I thought that was very, very significant. Oh, and by the way, just, the pipeline industry contributed $1.5 to $2 billion in state and local taxes.
1: I spent a few years in the industry association as well, and I always feel like there's one misconception I had to clear up with friends at dinner, for instance. So what do you always have to clear up over Bob Armstrong dip at Matzell Rancho with folks?
0: Jay, you you have touched on one of my most happy places on the planet, which is Matzo Rancho. I've been going there since I was a baby in 1971. As I got a little bit older, that's when Bob Armstrong dip was invented, and you put the taco meat and the guacamole meat right in the middle of the queso. And some people are purists, and they do not touch the taco meat and guacamole. They dip each individually, and then some just stir it all together.
1: So uh, <laughs> digressing into uh, the, the the, the, the minutiae of dip, but it's it's, it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, but this is an opportunity for you to really sound off here. I mean, what misconceptions do you feel like you always have to clarify for people? It's like, oh, you work for this pipeline guys. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: Well, again, I think that being that Texans are very oil and gas savvy and we are a pro-energy, pro-oil and gas state, I think people understand what pipelines are about. They know that without them, you can't get natural gas from the wellhead to the processing plant to the end user. They know that you wouldn't be able to in your car and drive to work every day without a pipeline carrying some sort of fuel through the pipe. And so I think as far as misconceptions, you've always got your detractors, the people that possibly are anti-fossil fuel in general, and we are just the latest people to pick on because they have attacked upstream, they've attacked downstream, and now they're attacking midstream. As far as misconceptions, we're very proud of our environmental record, we're very proud of our relationship with the landowner, and I think education is the key. And that's what this association is all about, is educating the public and educating our policymakers to ensure that we have the energy to meet the needs of all Texans.
1: And I assume you probably crossed paths with Rick Perry before he moved on. What's your thoughts about him being Energy Secretary and what that could hopefully mean for your interests?
0: We've always had a very good relationship with Secretary Perry and especially with Governor Perry when he was governor. So we have high hopes that he will lead the policy on energy independence for the country because he was certainly an energy advocate when he was governor.
1: Terry, I'm going to wrap up. This is the lightning rounds on your thoughts on different energy technologies. This is Free Word Association. First one is natural gas.
0: Clean, burning, abundant, and reliable energy source. Crude oil. It keeps America moving and driving, and it's part of everyday products. Nuclear. My understanding is not many more are being permitted. Coal. It's a needed energy source to meet demand. Wind. West Texas and the Gulf Coast wind power plants put a significant amount of kilowattage on the ERCOT grid. Solar. It takes a big area to produce power, but it's an innovative technology.
1: Biofuels.
0: It can help with reducing emissions, but it needs to be sustainable. Fuel cells. Hopefully, the technology can get better.
1: Hydroelectric.
0: Hoover Dam. <laughs> and all those dams along the Colorado River. The Colorado right. River, yep. That's right. LCRA. That's right. Geothermal. Good source of energy, but uh, my understanding is it's limited to certain areas. Electric vehicles. Used along with traditional fossil fuels, they're good. Energy efficiency. Great for your house on a hot Texas summer day.
1: And finally, nuclear fusion. Homer Simpson. <laughs> All right, very good. Turi Cannon, Texas Pipeline Association, thank you so
0: much for your time. Thank you, Jay.
1: That was Turi Cannon, president of the Texas Pipeline Association, an industry trade group in Austin. And I like what he said about what could be the future infrastructure package from D.C. His group wasn't interested in money per se. They appear to be more interested in good regulation. When it comes to for-profit companies building massive projects, regulatory mercy could be as good as dollars. I want to thank Turi and Christian Goff for helping me with this interview. Christian helped me with my Scott Energy episode a few months ago. It was great to work with her again and we look forward to the many more guests she can introduce us to. And I also want to thank the kind staff at Matt's El Rancho in Austin for sending me a gorgeous photo of their signature Bob Armstrong dip. Next time you're in the area, tell them you heard about them on the show. You can check out some delicious pics on Instagram at Host Energy and online at energy-cast.com. All guests are sent the raw and completed show the week of release. So far, no complaints. Music was produced by Sean Stroop at Stroop Loops. That wraps up episode 35. Be sure to join us next time when we meet a company that is turning traffic into energy. You won't want to miss it. Until then, I'm Jay Dauenhauer. We'll see you next time.